0: tonight, I would like to uh, focus on the gospel reading. You know, if you were to ask Jesus just a direct question, and the direct question would be, why did you come? Just as simple like that. Why have you come into the world? Jesus would have answered you in two different places in the Gospels. In one place in the Gospel, he would have answered you um, by saying, hold on, he would have answered you by saying, I have come that you may have life and have it in its fullness. So notice that is a direct answer. Why have you come? I have come that you may have life and have it in its fullness. However, when Jesus speaks then to... um, Excuse me right here. When Jesus is in the gospel today, Jesus says another thing that he has come for. I want you to listen to this. So Jesus, why did you come into the world? Jesus replies, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were blazing already. There is a baptism which I must receive, and how great is my anguish, until I receive it. Do you think I have come to establish peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, against, three against two, and two against three. Now He, co- he goes on to list all of the divisions. Now, the question I have is, how are we supposed to interpret this? Because isn't Jesus called the Prince of Peace? And the answer is, yes, he is, but no, he is not. Why? You notice every time in the, in the liturgy, whenever I say to you, peace be with you. I always, the the church always tries to uh, say, may the peace of the Lord be with you. You notice it's not just regular peace, but may the peace of the Lord be with you. Why? Because you see, peace can be reached by different ways. If you study at all history, or even our present situation, let me take the present situation, why is it that we have peace with Russia and peace with China? Why? You know why? Because we have the realization of a mutual understanding of total mutual destruction. That's why we have peace. You see, that's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. In his own day, there was relative peace. But why was there relative peace? Because Rome would crucify you or would kill you in a New York minute if you didn't behave. So it was peace through fear. Remember, Jesus said, Peace I leave to you. My peace is my gift to you. Not as the world gives peace, do I give you peace. What was he referring to? Peace through fear. That is not what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about the peace. Of the kingdom. And that comes only when you put God first. And before you put, before you achieve that peace, putting God first means that it's going to put you in a collision course with the peace of Rome, with the peace of the world. The peace of the world is the political peace, the the assurance of mutual destruction. Rome let the Jews do what they wanted a little bit because it figured that it was better that troublesome Jews governed themselves as long as they paid taxes to to the Romans. And so it was a standoff. In the first century, there was a standoff in Jerusalem. And so the Jews could govern themselves, but notice, they couldn't put anyone to death. That's why they took Jesus to Pilate. Because they wanted to kill him. And so, what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about the peace of God's kingdom. And today, he's telling you that the peace of God's kingdom should never be confused with a peace of mutual destruction. The Romans destroying the Jews and the Jews being troubled to the Romans or the Chinese destroying us and us destroying Russia and go on and on and on. Jesus is very aware that in order for him to inaugurate the kingdom of peace, he has to first confront the peace of the world, which really isn't peace. It's just a superficial, uh, a superficial cessation of hostilities. There's a delicate balance. And Jesus knows that in order for the kingdom of God to come, He has to put God first. Because you see, the world... This is one of the things that amazes me. Do you remember when Jesus was taken by Satan to the pinnacle, to the... I think it was the uh, the highest point in Jerusalem. And Satan says to him, You see, all of these kingdoms of the world, they are mine. And I will give them to you if you just but worship me. Why does Satan say they are mine? Because they are. Because the entire world is under the peace of Satan, meaning the peace of Rome or the peace of nuclear assured destruction, mutual destruction. That's the peace of Satan. Everybody must continue to be under him. That's why it belongs to him, because all of reality is organized according to the will, to the power of the power of Satan. the power of Rome, the power of nuclear annihilation. It's the peace of fear. And Jesus knows that he has to confront that. And so when he says, "I have come that you may have life and have it in its fullness," it is true. Our only hope of ultimate life is the kingdom of God. That is our only hope of surviving death. If if Jesus has not risen from the dead, think Paul says we are to be the most pitied of all people. Most pitied. But our only chance, and our only chance of... You know, folks... I, my, the, the, the way that I proclaim the gospel is very focused on death. You know why? Because there's nobody that can ignore it. You can ignore religion from here until God knows when, but you can't ignore the fact that you're gonna die and that that is fairly permanent. And that the only hope that there is is Jesus risen. But then, so I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. But notice the other, why have you come, Jesus? And Jesus answers you today. And so we asked him, Jesus, why have you come? I have come to set the earth on fire. And how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism which I must be baptized with. And how great is my anguish until it is done, until it is finished. And then he explicitly talks to you about what kind of peace are you satisfied with. He says, so Do you think that I have come to establish peace on earth? No. He answers you very plainly. If you want peace at all costs, you can't be a follower of Jesus. I have come to establish division. I tell you from now on in a household of five, there will be three against two and two against three. Now why? because what you see is that in order for the peace of the kingdom whatever is under the peace of mutual destruction has to be exposed and overcome it has to be exposed and overcome there what basically the message of christ is look look we're not going to bury it and push it under the rug the fact that everybody's terrified push it under the rug and make believe that everything is cool. It isn't. It isn't cool. And so Jesus' mission is to confront. You notice that's why he keeps talking about his hour. My hour has not yet come. It is the hour of confrontation. The confrontation with the power of the world. When he talks about his baptism, Jesus is not talking about how we understand baptism. You know, it's one of the things that I, I, I recently awakened to. God knows after 40 some odd years of being a priest, I should have awakened to it. But we have a really stupid and tepid understanding of baptism. Baptism, we think of baptism, oh, isn't that cute? Look at her little dress how white and cute he is. Let's have all kinds of little baptism angels and little baptism this. And and that's not bad, but it's not enough. Listen to this. Jesus, when he, uh, when he, when you ask the question, ask this question. And I invite you to go home and, and do this. Ask the question. When Jesus, when the word baptism is used in the New Testament, especially when Jesus uses it, how does he use the word baptism? How does he use it? And that's going to tell you how tepid our understanding of baptism is. Listen to this. First of all, when Jesus goes to be baptized by John, notice what John is saying. And I don't think we take it seriously. You know, we we normally hear what we want to hear. Okay? Well, I heard somebody say the other day if you want to hear, if you want to know the things that you want to hear, go to your Bible and see the things that are underlined. But if you don't, if you want to see the things that you don't want to hear, look at the, par- at the passages you've ignored. Look at the passages you've ignored. Listen to this from John I am baptizing you with water, but one is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, how do we explain that? Oh, it must be that little flicker of flame that is above the apostle's head. You know, the Holy Spirit, that little Holy Spirit that is just going right up here. Isn't that cute? So cute. God, when I think of those categories, it makes me sick. Isn't it so cute? Except that that's not what Jesus means. Listen to the fire in the context of today's gospel. Well, first of all, let me bring you a couple of other passages. Do you read one more passage? Do you remember when James and John come up to Jesus and said, his mother, their mother comes up to Jesus and the mother says, I want my two boys to be one at your right and one at your left when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, "Do you Can you drink of the cup that I'm about to drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized? Notice that for Jesus, his baptism isn't over. It isn't over. I am about to be baptized. And listen to this. You, you do not know what you're asking. The cup that I will drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, I am about to be baptized, you will be baptized. Notice how it's the baptism is still in the future. For Jesus, he has not finished his baptism. The baptism in the Jordan was the beginning of his mission. It's kind of like saying, when we inaugurate a president, oh, I'm glad that's over. No, we got four years, so we gotta, we got to do this. It's the beginning of his mission. That's why he's referring to it as the future. And then, notice, in today's reading, I have come to cast a fire. He will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. I have come to cast a fire. And then there is a baptism, listen closely, with which I must be baptized. And how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. It's not done. In Jesus' understanding His baptism is not done. How much is my anguish until it is accomplished? And then, if you really want to get the whole picture, and this sent chills down my spine when I read it. I I read the crucifixion scene in light of those two texts on baptism the baptism with which I must be baptized, and how much in my anguish I am until it is finished. And then you go to the crucifixion, John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had been given the bitter wine on the cross, he says, what? It is finished. And bowing his head, He handed over his spirit. What is finished? What? His baptism. His baptism is done. Now compare that view of baptism as a lifelong initiation to a mission. The mission to confront the power of this world. The mission to set fire to the world. And compare it to the way we treat baptism. And compare it to our own understanding of our own baptism. What Jesus is basically saying to us, because if you we, when you read this, you have to read the rest of the scriptures within that context. You see, the problem lies that we seek peace, but peace at the expense of principle. When your goal becomes simply to get along with the world, when your goal is not to make any waves, that really leads you to abandoning who you are and what you stand for. It reminds me, I have it written down here. It reminds me of the quote. I don't know where it comes from, but the quote is, I don't know the secret of success, but I do know the secret of failure, and that's trying to make everybody happy. And that's truth. Because if you don't stand for anything, ultimately, you will lose it all. Because you don't stand for anything the purpose of having an open mind is to be able to close it around something. If you have too much of an open mind, your brains fall out. You're supposed to be able to close your mind around something that you consider to be true. And so, it is a matter of, he's, what Jesus is saying to us is, you've got to, in order for you to have life and have it to the full, you've got to go through the fire. What is the fire? The fire is of being conformed to Him. He who loves his father, mother, sister, brother more than me is not worthy of me. This is one of those sayings of Jesus that is not exactly pleasant. Pleasant. Because what we normally like to do is to emphasize the Jesus loves me, which is true. But don't confuse the love of Jesus with the fact that you can do whatever the heck you want. Because you can't. In Revelation, I found it interesting in Revelation, Revelations 3.15. I know what you stand for. I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you are neither, I spit you out of my mouth. Now, why is all this? All of this is a challenge to us. It's a challenge, you know, there's an image that I have that, that I saw one time. I was a counselor at a camp. Back when I was a seminarian, I was a counselor at a camp. And there was a lake in the camp. And we had kids, you know, teenagers come. And part of it was that we would take out groups of teenagers in a boat. Well, one time, I'll never forget this. One time we took out a group of, I think it was seven or eight teenagers in this boat. And we were coming back. And half the teenagers in the boat wanted to go back and go in and do something else. And the other half of the teenagers wanted to go back out. There was one kid who wanted to be friends with everybody. And just as he was stepping out of the boat, he had one step in the pier and just almost out of the boat. And both groups were saying, no, come with us, come with us. Both of them were pulling on him, couldn't decide where to go. Well, while he was deciding, the boat happened to move out, and he fell into the water. Why? Because he couldn't make a decision. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you are in the middle, and you never want to make a decision, you're going to fall in. Folks, every Sunday, and we will at this Mass too, I ask you, we have a, 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 the tone from the symbol wrong. And I tell you that there are places in this world that it is dangerous to go to Mass. And why? Because it is illegal in places to go to Mass and it costs you your life to go to Mass. <coughs> There's persecution increasing. <coughs> and in our own society, it is getting increasingly dangerous to be a Christian. Now, don't misunderstand me, and I always say this. You can come to church, come to church all you want, be a nice person, uh-huh, get along with everybody, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know if you want to do that, because you're about to get spit out of his mouth. You're about to do to stand for nothing. In our own society, it's getting increasingly dangerous to live out your Christianity. Increasingly dangerous. If you live it out, you could get canceled. You won't get killed. Your reputation may be done away with. You may lose your job. You may be ridiculed as being politically incorrect. All of Twitter could just erupt against you but you've got to make that decision. To a large degree, being a Christian these days has been easy. But I'm telling you, it's getting increasingly hard. You may not feel it now, but the way things are going, they are not going well. And so, I, my folks, when you hear Jesus saying, I have come to cast a fire on the earth, and how I wish it were ablaze, He's talking about the heart of the gospel, about the choices. It's kind of like you're driving down a road, and when you're driving down a road, all of a sudden there's a fork in the road. You've got to decide. There's no going straight. You're either going to accept it from the world or you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't know when and if that, dis- that choice will come to- in your life. It will come sooner or later. But we have to do it. I'll close with just remind, remembering a great man whose name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who lived during, in Germany during the Third Reich. And he realized the evil of Hitler. And he was working against Hitler. And he was a pastor. He got caught by the SS two days before the Allies liberated his concentration camp. He was taken out in the naked, in naked in the snow. He was taken out and a wire was put around his neck. And he was hung because he refused to praise Hitler. He wrote a book that has never, I've read it and I've never forgotten it. The book is called The Cost of Discipleship. Discipleship has costs. You can't be lukewarm. And if you are, prepare to be spit. It's important that we understand that when the fork in the road comes, you've got to make sure that you're on the side of the peace of Christ.